Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The noughties. A decade when the world changed and changed again. With 9-11... And then the financial crash. It was a decade when tech was exploding. But the noughties was also a decade that was obsessed with a cult of celebrity. Every time I left my house, it was 50 cars waiting outside, helicopters, people jumping over fences, paparazzi getting in fights with each other to try to get the shot. It was just constant every single second. At the time, it was assumed that celebrities enjoyed being papped and gossiped about. It was what made them famous. But looking back now, a lot of it was just deeply, deeply disturbing. The biggest train wreck of 2008, as voted by my readers, is Amy Winehouse. Hey, at least she's still alive. Have you seen Britney's kids? Oh my God, they are the most adorable mistakes you will ever see. Somehow, back then, it seemed normal to see women regularly demeaned and humiliated in the name of entertainment. <laughs> see, that is. Russell. All right, that's okay. <laughs> Russell, how can I do your bra just like this? <laughs> it's only now, with a decade between us, that we can look back in horror. And there's finally a sense of a reckoning of sorts. Russell Brand built his own brand on being a womanizer. The Met Police today confirmed a woman had contacted them, claiming Brand had sexually assaulted her in 2003. And in the post-Me Too era, finally, the celebrities and tabloid favorites have been able to open up about just how badly they were treated. People like Paris Hilton. Publicly humiliating me, being so mean, so cruel. I was sitting there wanting to die. And Britney Spears, who releases her post-conservatorship autobiography this week. Britney Spears and a powerful new trailer in her voice for her soon-to-be-released memoir. It's called The Woman in Me. So what made the turn of the century so toxic? particularly for young female celebrities. And why did so many of us, at the time, think it was normal? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, sex tapes, gossip blogs and Paris Hilton. 
how the noughties went toxic. I'm Sarah Dighton. I am a writer for the Sunday Times and the author of a new book called Toxic Women, Fame and the Noughties, which is about gossip culture at the start of this century and why it became so depraved and strange. This is going to sound like a very obvious question, but mm-hmm. just um, just explain exactly what period you're covering. And, and for you personally, I mean, how, how old were you during this era? Yeah, so I ended up writing about a a spread of time I think of as the long noughties. So it starts in 1998 with the release of Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. And then it ends in 2013, which I initially picked as the end date on it because that's the year that Robin Thicke's song Blurred Lines came out. Everybody get up. And that initiated a really strong feminist backlash to what was perceived as being a misogynist piece of popular culture. And that to me felt like a watershed because it felt like a real shifting of power and a move towards women en masse using their voices online to say, we don't find this acceptable. I know you want it, but you're a good girl. I know you want it. Um, I'm not going to read all the words. They get much more uh, uh, graphic, direct than that. Uh, is this promoting rape? And it had real-world consequences. It ruined Thick's career in the end. Um, so I'm 18 at the start of this period, and I'm in my early 30s by the time it finishes. So it covers basically my young adulthood. I'm exactly the same age as you, so I feel like I remember it like it was yesterday. But just remind people, what were the the big events happening? What are the things that would trigger your memories about exactly what it was like to live through then? Really what I'm talking about is the period where the internet goes from being a novelty to being a utility. You might have access to the internet at your office desk. In theory, every internet website could offer TV quality video to the world. With broadband, we're all broadcasters. But you almost certainly don't have an internet connection at home at the start of this period. That starts to change. More and more people have access to the internet. Then smartphones are introduced. It can go on the internet, you can do your email, you can play music and video, you can even make phone calls. Gadget fans will want one, but will it ever reach a wider market? The technology changes entirely through this period, and that changes the way that people relate to each other, inevitably. But it's also a period that's punctuated by huge eruptions. So the most obvious one of these is September 11th, happens in 2001. So you have no idea right now? I have another one. Another plane just hit. Right. Oh, my God. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Flew right into the middle. I think it's easy to overuse the word trauma, but this is a genuinely traumatic event. And there are a lot of people who just feel like the end of the world has happened, so nothing matters anymore. So you can embrace this kind of wild, debased, nihilistic version of um, celebrity culture. And the other big shock in this period is the financial crisis in 2008. Lehman, like so many other investment banks and banks, Uh, really got, quite frankly, caught up in the housing bubble. But like every bubble, the bubble ended, and we're now seeing the downside of that bubble. 
again, in pop culture, you can kind of see that it produces this nihilism, this desire to see rich people punished in some way for having something that other people don't have. Simultaneously, I suppose we ought to point out that this is also the period when reality TV becomes a thing and the line between private and public life for celebrities is suddenly very blurred. Yeah, yes, the rise of reality TV is really integral to this story. So you have shows like Big Brother and the Pop Idol franchise as well. It's about can you turn ordinary people into celebrities? The winner of Pop Idol 2002 is Will! And on the other hand, you have the shows like The Osbournes, Paris Hilton's Simple Life. Meet Paris Hilton. Model. Jet Target of the tabloids. And heir to the $360 million Hilton fortune. Oh my god. <laughs> The Britney Spears and Kevin Federline show and the absolutely cursed Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown one, which mm. are among the sort of earlier versions, um, which make stars seem, well, if not normal, then certainly human and sometimes human in really deeply humiliating and awful ways. And you open the book by illustrating this through a case I hadn't heard of before. Just take us there. Take us to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and just describe what happened there. So, yeah, this is a really unpleasant case, actually, but it's a very typical case of the period. So in 2006, a 16-year-old girl is shopping in a branch of Target. A security guard is watching the CCTV and he sees a man approach this girl, unnoticed by her, and take a picture up her skirt. This man is arrested. He tells the police that he had watched a documentary about upskirting and he wanted to try it for himself. He says fairly unambiguously to the police, yes, I did that thing you saw me do and I did it for a sexual reason. Um, it goes to trial, and then the case is heard by a judge in 2007 who orders that the charges be dismissed because the girl who was photographed was not in a place where she had a reasonable expectation of privacy. And that's upheld by an appeals court wow. a year later. But because she's in a public space, she is deemed not to have a right to the inside of her clothes being private. That's remarkable to hear now. It just seems so bizarre. Why did you pick this particular incident? Number one, it shows how privacy affects men and women differently because it is a sexualized crime that's committed by men against women. But also because it showed how completely ill-equipped the law was at this stage to deal with new technology. So this kind of offence, it's only possible because you have small, light, digital cameras. And once they exist, that completely changes the way that privacy exists in a public place. It means that those images can then be taken from that public place, uploaded to the internet and seen by anyone anywhere in the world. It completely corrodes the limitations that we've come to expect and understand around privacy in public places. And the law was utterly ill-equipped for that. 
So you've got the law floundering, not really knowing how to cope with this mm. implosion of celebrity privacy issues. You've got technology accelerating it all with phone cameras, the internet. And then you've got the people in the middle, the celebrities themselves, who are trying to work out how to navigate this new world. One of the people we associate most closely with that time, I suppose, is Paris Hilton. Just remind us a bit about who she was and how she suddenly came onto the scene. So Paris first starts to get famous in the late 1990s and she is a teenager at that point and she becomes famous as a debutante, effectively. So a well-born, wealthy young American woman who's entering into society. But she strikes the press as particularly interesting because, number one, it's her and her sister. It's Paris and Nikki initially. So they make this very compelling, skinny, blonde, attractive double act. And rather than being seen at, you know, balls and society events, they're seen at nightclubs. They're out partying. They're bad girls. And that's very attractive as well. Paris, you just turned 21 recently? Yeah, with yeah. about 10 parties. 35 Ten party. birthdays. Yeah. yeah. And that starts to change under the pressure of the internet. And Paris pursues fame with a kind of incredible single-mindedness. And she ends up paying a hell of a price. I mean, just take us back to 2001 when something happens that changes the course of her life. 2001 is when the sex tape is made. When she's 20, she has sex with her boyfriend, um, a man called Rick Salomon, who's 32 at the time, and they film themselves together. And somehow, two years later, this film starts to make its way onto the internet and becomes... A subject of absolutely incredible gossip and speculation. One of the reasons that tape went everywhere was because it turned up on one of these celebrity websites, which were immensely popular back then. It sort of feels like they really helped to shape the culture. This was Gorka. Just remind us a bit about um, those sort of celebrity blogs. So Gorka is a website that starts in 2002. It's founded by Nick Denton, who is an English journalist, formerly of the Financial Times. Incredibly... That's quite a change. <laughs> August background. He moves to Manhattan and it is genius, really, what he does. He founds Gorka, which is this incredibly bratty, snarky um, gossip blog. It's kind of like a version of Private Eye with... No deference whatsoever to morals or privacy or libel law. Um, just publishes all kinds of tips and gossip that come their way and it becomes hugely successful. So you've got this very sort of snarky tone, which, as you say, sort of becomes the tone of blogs, celebrity blogs, gossip blogs, also becomes the way people start to look at celebrities. Mm. And into all of that, you've got the paparazzi playing an ever more important role. Just describe how, how they fit into the picture. With the paparazzi, this is about technology. Camera technology moves on pretty fast. Suddenly, instead of having to mess around with flashbulbs and rolls of film, paparazzi can use much lighter, much quicker digital cameras. You can collect more shots more quickly. So this is a bad period for the print media. Competition from the internet means that sales yeah. are beginning to fall and magazines are starting to feel the pressure. 
But celebrity magazines are an outlier in this. People really want celebrity stories and they are bidding furiously with each other to get the best possible pictures. So the incentives for paparazzi to go further, do more than ever before, take more pictures than ever before, is really, really strong. For a photograph at that time, it could range between 50000 up to a million dollars. And, you know, as you say, the, the print media are trying to keep up with this in this country. That means, you know, tabloid culture is going mad. It's exploding. You've sort of got the sun, the mirror with its 3am girls, the male. Everybody's fighting for the same kind of pictures mm. and the same kind of insight into celebrity life. Looking back now, weren't any of these publications, whether online or in print, weren't they worried about defamation or libel or privacy in the way that people would be terrified now? So obviously privacy and libel law do apply in this period, but it doesn't seem to be accepted that they apply online. And there is a feeling that you kind of can't commit libel online, which seems absurd now, but it's because it's such a nascent medium and it seems so outside of the mainstream that it feels almost as if it's beyond mainstream law and norms. I think 2013 is when you have the McAlpine v Burko libel trial, which I recall as being a really significant moment for a lot of people in that it was the moment when many people realised that, oh, you can get sued for what you say on Twitter. And this was when Sally Burko, the, the wife of John Burko, who was a speaker of the House of Commons at the time, was tweeting people who she thought were suspected paedophiles. So many layers of, like, the weirdness of this era in that tweet that, you know, the speaker's wife would have become a kind of a, a semi-celebrity on Twitter and would be, like, tweeting speculation about who is or isn't a paedophile. Feels it's, like everybody was gossiping online. Everyone was a gossip blog. Everyone was a gossip. Coming up, how do celebrities from the noughties feel about their treatment now? And how did the rest of us, who lived through it, somehow turn a blind eye? That's in just a moment. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So, Sarah, you've got this world where the Internet is pretty much ungoverned. People think they can get away with saying anything there. You've got this real desire from the public to be able to see every bit of a celebrity's life. Nothing is sacred anymore. Um, How does all of this play out for Paris Hilton and her sex tape? Um, Initially, Paris denies that any such tape exists. She calls Salomon a liar and a sleaze for talking about it. The immediate perception is that Paris has done this herself. She's done this because she's so desperate to be famous and desperate to be seen that she's released it off her own back, which we know now and which was obvious at the time from her own statements and actions was never true. And how normal was it for people to watch this sex tape. I mean, this was one of the things that kind of blew my mind when I was researching the book. I found a live blog on New York Magazine's website. So New York Magazine, august, liberal, New York publication, they are live blogging, watching this piece of unambiguously revenge porn in the office. And They're live blogging? Live blogging, watching a privacy intrusion, which seems extraordinary to me now but that was within the norms of the period and it's very strange to look back at how this was treated at the time because she hadn't consented to its distribution and she fought its commercial release in all the ways that she was able to fight it but ultimately there were no particularly strong legal mechanisms that she could use to suppress it because the privacy law was not really fit for purpose at this time Mm. So one legal strategy is to argue that she holds copyright over the tape, therefore she should be able to decide what happens to it. That leads to a little fluster of reports from the court calling her a pornographer because she's behind the camera at some points. So there's really no win condition that she can use, really. One way or another, she is deemed to be culpable and and slutty for the existence of this tape. I mean, when she does talk about it now, how does she describe it? You know, the, the idea that even august news organisations were all over it, not mm. just sort of the gawkers online. She's used the term... It was like being electronically raped. Which I think is probably a completely accurate description, actually, of how it feels to have your sex life blazoned all over the internet and turned into a subject of topical comedy. And I think probably the reason she was able to navigate it successfully in the end is once she couldn't deny its existence anymore, she just leaned into it. She kind of absorbed it into her celebutant persona and made jokes about it. 
Well, Paris Hilton's a name that's on everyone's lips these past few weeks. Here now in an exclusive interview with Jimmy Fallon is Paris Hilton. Is it hard to get into the Paris Hilton? Actually, it's a very exclusive hotel, no matter what you've heard. Is the Paris Hilton roomy? It might be for you, but most people find it very comfortable. And I really think that was the only option open to her because there was no sympathetic narrative available to her. The concept of revenge porn didn't emerge until around 2008. So at the point that the tape appears, there simply isn't any way that she can talk about it that would position her as a victim. I mean, it is horrific looking back now. You know, you sort of see a very vulnerable 20-year-old Clearly the victim, as you say, of what we would now describe of revenge porn. And it's all over The Guardian, CNN, New York Magazine, places that you, know, you wouldn't expect to see stuff like that now anyway. At the time, you know, as you say, the only way she could respond was by leaning into it, by making jokes about it. Do you think that sort of allowed a lot of people in the media to think there was this sort of unhealthy relationship between celebrities and the media and paparazzi that meant that, they, they were kind of mutually dependent mm. and everything was fair game. Absolutely. And I think the complicating factor is that celebrity and intrusive media are mutually dependent to some degree, certainly in this period, because um, you don't have social media established in a way that allows celebrities to control their own image and speak directly to their fans in the way that they do now. So now, you know, you can become a celebrity by publishing your own pictures onto Instagram. And you never, ever have to navigate the paparazzi if you choose not to. Mm. But that's not the case in the noughties. Instagram doesn't exist yet. So if you want to be seen, you have to be seen by the press. And that means, in lots of cases, engaging with the paparazzi. So several of the celebrities I write about um, cultivate certain photographers who they see as allies or they see as useful to them. And it's interesting you mentioned the Instagram and it does feel like, you know, this period is kind of bookended. It, it, it takes off this mad rush of celebrity culture because, because the internet is suddenly everywhere. And by the end of this period, by 2013, celebrities have learned how to control that a bit online with things mm. like Instagram and manage their image. I mean, what did that mean, the end of this period? What did it mean for Paris Hilton? Paris is so interesting because she experiences the absolute worst of naughty celebrity culture but she also reinvents herself for social media so first of all as business paris who is in charge of her brand who gets paid enormous sums of money for djing enormously successful perfume brands so she starts to kind of re-emerge after 2013 in this guise and then around 2018 after Me Too happens and there's a sort of a reckoning with sexual violation, that's when she begins to talk about her own experiences. So if you read her autobiography or you watch the documentary she made with YouTube where the um, director asks her why she's choosing to talk about this now. I've worked so hard to build this brand and it's been all about this perfect, happy life. That story was never a part of this brand. So it is about the brand. Yeah, and implicitly, 
if she's doing it now, then it is good for the brand to do it now. Because the culture has changed. It's not that the public's appetite for consuming female suffering has gone away, but we don't want to see the kind of suffering that was being devoured in the noughties. We like confessions. We like people talking about their trauma or their mental health struggles. We like more of a hero's journey rather than pure humiliation. Do you think we're still going through a reckoning over how women were treated in the noughties? You know, we've recently had the Russell Brand allegations come to light. Do you think it sort of caused any lasting damage to all the millennials who were growing up in that period, who grew up thinking a lot of this was very normal? I found it as a, um, I believe, <laughs> technically a geriatric millennial, which is quite rude of <laughs> demographers to have put me in that category, but that's where I sit. <laughs> Um, I'm in the same boat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I certainly found it enlightening, actually, to revisit this period and look at how much stuff I had consumed as normal. You know, the level of kind of body shaming and sexual policing, 100% growing up in this culture will have left a mark on a lot of women. And it would be nice to think that we've sort of moved beyond that. But I think it would be deluding ourselves to believe that one of the things that came up repeatedly in this book would be that men had their comeuppance once they stopped being useful or powerful and I think with Russell Brand you can look at that this in a similar way as well he left mainstream celebrity behind quite a long time before these stories emerged and the truth is that Terrible things happen to women all the time. Sexually exploitative men are always going to find ways to be sexually exploitative. And Sarah, for me, being the same age as you, looking back now, it's kind of horrifying. I think I just keep wondering, how on earth did we go through all of that and think it was normal? Is it something about feminism as it was at the time? We had just sort of come to the end of Ladette culture where it was all about grinning and showing you were one of the lads and everything was okay and you didn't mind a bit of banter. What was it that made us so accepting of what seems so outrageous now? I do think part of it is that feminism had been kind of deemed unnecessary at this point. There was this sort of feeling that the battles had been won and the best thing you could do would be enjoy your freedom by taking your top off, (laughs) apparently. And I think there is a really seductive narrative, especially for young women, and every generation has to contend with it, in that as a woman, you can experience your sexuality as power to a certain degree. There is power in being desired, in being wanted, and it is only once you come to the end of of that that you realise how hollow it is, how much it's a kind of power that is only vested in what someone else wants to do to you. This empowerment is a very hollow substitute for actual feminism that contends with the exploitation of women and violence against women. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, writer for The Sunday Times and freelance journalist, Sarah Dighton. Her book, Toxic, Women, Fame and the Noughties is out on the 26th of October and you can read an exclusive extract all about Britney Spears 
in last weekend's Sunday Times magazine, which you can find at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. If you want to hear more about Naughty's culture, then do go back and have a listen to our episodes on the Russell Brand allegations. We spoke to the journalists behind the investigation done by The Times, The Sunday Times and Channel 4's dispatches. Just search for Russell Brand and Stories of Our Times wherever you get your podcasts. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer was Kate Ford. And sound design was by Hannah Farrell. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.